Hello and welcome to episode 158 of the Saints Score podcast. Southampton, their undefeated streak is over at the hands of Crystal Palace. It's a 1-0 loss, another narrow defeat. And then we've got to, have to look, at, look ahead to Newcastle as well, which is our last home game before the World Cup. Hopefully we can get some points on the boards and, you know, not be anywhere near the relegation zone before the World Cup break, because that's when serious questions might have to be asked. Mikey returns for this podcast. So we've got a full house. So it's Mikey, the analyst, Maidsman, Jamie, the shirt collector, Alan, Ooh, and Ollie, nice. the thought bubbler boast. Uh, <laughs> oh, what is that? Whoa, where did them come from? I don't know, it's just oh, try and oh, start the different sort of give you each like, like your little profiles. That's so cool. people listening if what? they're new sort of know, yeah. know each and every like that. What, what's a thought bubbler? I don't know, you just sort of seem deep in thought every time you speak, which I quite I quite like. Pathetic, you, you know, you're yeah. Do, you know, do Very you like close that? to pathetic, and... but I don't know. No. Yeah. I thought that's what you said at first. What would Tizard be? <laughs> Uh, no. uh oh, mm. the overseer. Yeah, yeah. He's like the the overseer who lives in England, not overseas. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can come back to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know what? We can work on it. We'll work on it for yeah. next episode. But I think that's a good starting point. Uh, Ollie, how have you been this week? Can we do Harry the host? Harry the host is on. Yeah. That might work. Do. I'm doing okay. I'm, I I. I had fun over the weekend. Had a Halloween party. Did any of you guys do anything for Halloween? We had a few uh, drinkies around my house, didn't we, Tizzy? It was drinkies. nice. It was nice. Drinky poos. I I worked. That, that oh, was fun. Okay. That was, was good. That fun? Yeah. Do you, you dress up for work or was it just? No, I didn't dress up for uh, unless like lifeguarding uniform counts. I don't. Yeah, so you just as Baywatch, right? That's not bad. Though, <laughs> yeah. I mean the uh, the the heater on poolside broke. Uh, so what regulates the heat and poolside? So I think people walked in in the morning. It was thirty six degrees on poolside. I think it was about thirty four yeah. when I was on poolside. So yeah, slightly unbearable, but got through just apart fine. From, apart from burning, was your week okay? Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was fine. It was all right. Went on holiday. We went to Centre Parks for the week. It was lovely. Um, Lovely to get away, chill out, and then uh, went up to London on Saturday and watched Le Mis. Uh, so I missed the Southampton Crystal Palace game, um, oh, but no. No, I got the buzz in my pocket when Edward scored, so that's okay. You're happy knew that then? we were losing. Um, sorry, you're happy, you're a Palace fan, are you not? As well, uh, no, no, my granddad was a Palace fan, so oh, yeah, it's it. I mean, yeah, it, it was it's it's nice that Palace won. It's not nice that it was against us. So that's well, well, well put. That well put. That's, that's very fair. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing this week? I'm excellent, Tizard. I'm absolutely buzzing and ready for this podcast to start. Well, let's get it going. And there's, there's not a lot to Thank speak you. about because once again, there's <laughs> only one goal. Eight out of the 13 games this season have been decided by one goal. And three of our last four losses away from home have been one nil defeat. So narrow, narrow margins. Mikey, what was your overview of the game? I guess you've seen the highlights, seen what people are thinking on Twitter, so you can sort of gather your thoughts. Uh, what was your, you know, analysis of it? Sounded like it was a disappointing um, first half, really, or quite quite a balanced first half. That Palace created three very good opportunities in, and probably arguably could have been more goals. Up, you talk about Zahar's little flash across goal that Edouard nearly got his uh, foot to. The goal obviously was also a very good chance, a good ball into the box, and. Uh, uh, tapping through Salisu's legs, it looked like. Um, and in the second half, we came out and we we really started taking Palace. And you're thinking maybe we've got a chance to get something out of here. And clear cut chances that we've created, we've not finished off again. And that that's going to be a killer for us this year if we can't start putting those away. Jamie, how about you? You look you look at the game. Jekyll and Hyde performance, you, you could sort of say. What was your overview of it? We need a striker who can score. Because, mm. to quote Michael Owen, to win games, you have to score goals. Okay. And it's quite that simple, unfortunately. I think, yeah, Mikey covered it pretty well there. 
Palace, don't get me wrong, were, played very well. However, in the second half, we should have put to bed at least three goals. And I just think it was pretty pathetic that we didn't get a goal in the end. But we'll get, I'm sure yeah. we'll get on to that later in the podcast. Yeah, Ollie, we'll, we'll go to you. Also, what was your overview of the game? You know, first half, second half, a lot different. I'll talk about the stats a bit later. Yeah. But looking at the game as a whole, how did you, how did you feel it went I down? I think it's one thing to note that we didn't necessarily change too much between the first half and the second half, but it was just the, the way that we played was the disappointing part. And also, for me, taking off Diallo really changed the game. And it mm. sounds... It sounds harsh that he got he got kind of singled out by a lot of people, but he got taken off at forty five minutes, and the game really changed once he came off. And yeah, for me, I think that was the kind of turning point. And we didn't even necessarily change up the formation or anything tactically specifically changed. It was just one player came off for another, and we looked stronger. And I think that was a really kind of yeah important part of the game. Yeah, and you look at the starting eleven, you know, compare the the Arsenal game at the end of it anyway to the Crystal Palace game, and it feels like it was quite a similar system for two very different teams. Yes, you do well against Arsenal, but the job at hand is also a lot different as well. You know, Diallo, he was one of the people that kept his place, and it's another game where he gets taken off before the hour mark. I don't know how many exactly it is, but it always feels like he's the he's the man that's sacrificed because he may be struggling, maybe not having his best game. Mikey, can you understand why Ralph went with the same the same team? Because a lot of, a lot of the time people go, look, if if they perform well, you've got to keep them on the pitch, or is it maybe individual players if they've had a good game, you should keep them on rather than oh, it's the whole team they've done well, so let's get the result again. I can see why Diallo retained his place because I mean Palace uh, last season they were quite I think they were quite a possession well they weren't a possession heavy side but they were a side that liked to keep the ball. Uh, it turned out in the game on uh, Saturday, uh, we actually kept the ball more. Uh, we had a higher higher percentage of possession on Saturday than they did. And I know possession doesn't decide everything, but if you think you're going to be... Uh, uh, I always think of Diallo, if you're going to have less of the ball, he's actually quite a good player to have on the pitch because his defensive work is all right. He, he intercepts passes well. He, he can putting a challenge he positions himself all right it's as soon as he's on the ball it doesn't feel like he's up to the quality of uh, a player who can who can keep it well and um, make good decisions and be decisive on the ball and and look forward and uh, i'd know that again harry we're going to touch on this point later uh but in the middle square under 21 game and i know it was the under 21 game you look at lavia you look at the the balls that he can play forward the way that he always looks to attack and and the decisions that he makes and the actual quality of his passing is so much higher than what diallo can offer i think it's the same with maitland nars i think maitland nars is obviously a better footballer than diallo is um and as much as yeah a, a team plays well you can you can keep that team together you do have to adapt for the opposition palace haven't been a possession heavy side this year um they have been a side that like to use their pace and their physicality you always know what a palace team's going to look like now they're going to be very physical they're going to be quick and they're going to want to break they're going to want to try and exploit the space that you've left behind and I think that's the reason why Diallo was left in the side was that he was going to be almost a recovery runner in the fact that when Palace break, he'll be able to put in a challenge and put the ball out and do that sort of thing. But he actually managed to cause more problems on the ball than create more successful actions off it. And uh, I, yeah, I, I just don't think he's up to the quality necessary to to play in the Premier League. I think he's had a couple of two or three years and unfortunately it hasn't come off for him. Part of first team performance in the first half that just wasn't up to scratch. We've said that a lot in the first half this season. And once you go a goal but a goal down, you've got to fight back in the game, don't you, Ollie? And that's the problem that the away team or the, the opposition I should say could play as badly as they want. But if they're one nil up, they've got something to defend against. They've got something to hold on to. You know, you look at the first half, four shots, none on target compared to their nine shots, three on target. Are you surprised that Ralph didn't try and change it up a bit earlier? Maybe take Diallo off earlier. I know it wasn't all, all you know, his fault. But if you know that 
that could be the game-changing part. Yes, it might be an embarrassment for him, but if it changes the game, it changes it into your favour. You sort of have to do it before the game comes against you, and that's what it felt like, that at 1-0 down, which is sort of hoping to get to half-time for then Ralph to make a few tinkering little changes. Yes, but I also think he kind of deserved... He had a good game against Arsenal. I think he deserved to kind of prove himself, and it's not like he was just kind of out there on his own. Warprouse would go over to him and have a word with him and try and get something, you know, see if they can fix something. But I think it was just that the Palace side were very good. They're a very attacking team. And you look at that, especially the four that lead the line, or the three and then the the number 10 behind them. I think they had uh, Eze as the 10, and then Zaha left, Elise right, Edouard up front. That's a really good attacking team and they they completely overloaded us between that midfield and our defense and they just basically as soon as they picked up the ball they just sprinted straight at us and we didn't know how to deal with it i mean the power and the the skill that those strikers had i thought they looked really impressive and yeah we were just kind of getting overrun in that midfield and Another problem is we just couldn't hold on to the ball. And a problem that I had all in the first half while watching it was how frustrating it was that unforced mistakes, we were just giving the ball straight back to them for them to just overload us again and go straight at us, attack dangerously and put us under pressure. But yet we were making mistakes hardly under any pressure whatsoever. We were just giving the ball straight back to them. So I think... Diallo did have a poor game, but we weren't helping him out because we just kept giving the ball back to Palace and just turning it into kind of a relentless wave after wave. I think his poor game basically got magnified, really. It was was another slow start, and it feels like we're talking about this a lot recently. Mikey, does it feel like we're making more first-half mistakes than last season? You know, I look at last season, Southampton's team, and they go, 20, first 20 minutes, we get at them. Maybe sometimes we score, maybe we don't, but we, we were almost always the better side. And I feel that at some points in the first 10 minutes, even if the other 80 were shocking, the first 10 minutes at times we were almost unplayable against certain sides. Not always, but quite a lot we were the better team. Does it feel like we're just a bit slower at the start? Does it feel like we're making more mistakes? What, what do you think is going on? Um, there's, there's obviously over the last couple of years, we've not had the best defensive record. I think that's, that's one of the points to put out. So I think coming into this season with new coaching staff coming in, new ideas coming in, there was a feeling that, um, the pressing that we were doing in the, especially the attacking third, uh, wasn't overly effective, like for the case that it would either leave, leave us horribly exposed uh, centrally to then be picked apart and concede goals or it would leave us in a situation where we were exhausted by the end of the half so as much as it's like yeah we've had an explosive first 20 minutes I don't it would be interesting to see what the numbers looked like uh, over the last couple of seasons where we have played this pressing style of football where goals have come from because I don't know I don't know if it's just like recency biased or ever but a lot of late goals in halves are being scored against us um, from the last couple of years like that those are the ones that you remember are the ones in the 90th minute where Harry Maguire takes a deflected shot in against for Leicester against us like those are the ones you remember uh, in the 95th minute or whatever and um yeah so i think there was that feeling of maybe if we just take a step back a lot that's what a lot of sides are doing at the moment they're doing a thing a mid block which is where they're not putting high pressure in but they're not sitting deep they're sort of like midway up the pitch where the um where where teams are so they're not really prog- uh, pers- pressing they're trying to cut passing lanes up the pitch and that's what we seem to be doing a little bit more is we're not pressing we're trying to cut passing lanes and keep a lot of players a lot more central therefore there's a hope that we get the ball back more often and you can see that i think someone i don't know who they did a really good presentation of james wall prowse at the moment where he's not having a lot of goal contributions he's not having a lot of chance creation contribution 
However, like compared to what his last season numbers were, however, he's doing a lot more work off the ball and a lot more dirty work off the ball, meaning that he's staying back and he's staying more central. So he's not having that ability to go forward. But the hope is, is that if we can sort of contain the centre of the field, we'll be giving away less goals. And in all fairness, against Palace, we didn't really give away a lot. If you have a look at previous games against West Ham and games against Arsenal, yeah, the shot totals have been quite high. Have there been good shots? No, not really. Like, they've been shots from different angles, from different positions, and like they've been low like low chance creation numbers like the chances have been very very low on that scale and a lot of them have been blocked so that's an improvement if you just look at instead of a results base but a performance base it's an improvement because there's going to be even though there's more shots we're not giving away a lot of good chances so that's good however the 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 struggle of that side is is that because we're not pressing as high we were creating a lot of chances last year uh from turnovers so when when the ball was turned over we were taking a lot of chances because a we had a high percentage of players up the field and b they had a low percentage of players in their defense so we could exploit the spaces that they had left from trying to play the ball out the back with us being able to press so because we're not pressing that anymore we're struggling to create chances um, in that sense so even though defensively we seem a lot more sound and as you said eight eight games this year have been decided games, by one yeah. goal yeah win and loss. so win and loss. so the games have been a lot tighter because of the way that we're playing so we're in the game for a lot longer however there's a sense of we're not creating chances at nil nil we've gone up behind in a lot of games and we've had to become a li- little bit more um pragmatic and a little bit little bit more freeing in our play when we go a goal down so we're sort of forcing bodies a little bit further forward so it seems like there's a lot more discipline to our game this year than there was last year um and a bit more of a defensive mindset but that's also then causing us to not play as exciting football so the fans are being on the back of ralph because we're not playing as exciting football and it means that we're not creating as many chances. So when you do get a big chance and you're through on goal one on one and you miss it, it becomes a lot more like bigger than if we created two or three of those chances during a game. So um, yeah, when when we're not pressing up the fields, we're trying to be more defensively solid. But by doing that, we're obviously not going to become more of an attacking threat. So when you say like we're not being as attacking in the first 20 minutes, we're not being as attacking in the first 20 minutes in hope that we're not going to concede or we're saving energy or we're, we're doing something a little bit different from last year. And like you say, we don't really give up that many chances. I think they had three shots on target. Two of them were within the six, uh, sorry, within the 18-yard box. But they did show a bit of a warning sign when Edson and Oswald slotted the ball through Bazunu's legs. The flag did go up, but you know, a few minutes later, he does find the back of the net, Jamie. And that's the problem. Mm. When we do give away those chances, it feels like their strikers, they finish him off. And Edwards, you know, former Celtic man, did really well up in Scotland. Been a, hit, a bit of a hit and miss in the Premier League, but does well to make, make the most of that one. And another goal that you could say was avoidable with Lianco giving the ball away to Zaha, who, you know, tackles him fairly. I think when you break it down, how it's lots of individual errors as well. I think, like when you mentioned the the Anko one there as well, it's like but if Salusi was also playing them both on side as well, which because he was not keeping a straight line. But it's just, I think it's very frustrating, especially if you think it's just towards the end of the half. It's a it's a football cliche, you know. You score and score right at the end of the half. You could then then to go on to win it because you then have the upper hand and they're all rent free, and when they're in the dressing room ranting about it. It's just it's just very very poor to concede that late on the half. And I think we did we did all right defensively. Obviously they had that one goal called offside. However, it just was sloppy, like with the individual errors. And it's just that's the thing that's costing us at the moment. And I think it needs to be worn out. Well, like you say, we got into half time one nil down. Crystal Palace certainly on top. But we were certainly the team on top in the second half. And it felt like the, the statistics almost flipped. I read out the first half, half stats. We had no shots on target. They had three, despite the fact they weren't necessarily that dangerous. Second half, they have three shots in the entire half with their final one coming in the 67th minute. Uh, so we had half an hour where, you know, they were certainly backs against the wall and we had 10 shots with four on target. And I'd certainly say that a few of us should have went in on it. Look at 
two Adams one-on-ones and it's it's the narrow margins. And I think that's the, the phrase that's going to be used the most this podcast where, you know, he had the chance against Wolves, had a few home chances as well where he could have scored a goal or two. And this one probably more than any of them that no one can deny that he's, he's got the elite hold-up play. But mm. when he's when he's the main man, at the moment, it feels it feels that he can't quite deliver. And at the moment, you know, you think he's a confidence player. He's had a lot of single goal moments where he scored one, not much has happened, scored another one where it used to be if he gets one, you almost guarantee that he's going to score in the second, third game and then you might have a have a pause. Yeah, well, you've mentioned that. I think it's important to look at the, the chances he's missed. I mean, the the one that... I think is the the one that should have gone in was the the one where we were on the counter attack and we had an extra man so there was going to be someone free at the end of that move and it was a really nice move and I think we played some nice football it arrives to Chalams in that chance because I was I was watching it back on the on the highlights it's a 5v4 in our situation so we've got the space it gets given to Adams our our lead striker, and it's got to go in the back of the net. There's no beating around the bush. It has to go in, especially where we were in the game and the chance that we created for ourselves. He has to score there, and that that's the that's the disappointing thing. We had other chances. We had Stuart Armstrong go down the line and hit one, hit hit one near post. It seemed, I mean, on on target. I guess is no. I guess it's not on target, but uh, almost. Uh, <laughs> almost. Yeah, it, it's creating. You know, we were we're looking more dangerous, but that was you know Adams had two of the best chances in the game and didn't put them away, and that that that's the that's the disappointing thing because creating the chances, but we're just not putting them in. Yeah, I you'd you'd hope that Adams could build off a bit of confidence from scoring, but you, like you say, it's not really clicking, is it? He's not carrying over that that uh, that confidence. We're not seeing the ketchup bottle, as Ralph called it. <laughs> No. And you look at it, Jamie, and yes, a lot of people would want a new striker in January, but it's simply mm. not that simple. It's really not that simple because if you've got a goal-scoring striker, you're not going to give him away midway through the season when it's yeah. going to be difficult to find it. And even then, if they offer it, double the price. That It's as simple as that. And the only striker I can really see on the market at the moment that we could probably wrest the, wrestle off a different team is Timu Puki. He's got six months left on his contract to the Championship and he scored 10, 10 to 15 Premier League goals each season that he's been here. And that that doesn't fit our profile of a of a 30-year-old striker. So at the moment, it doesn't feel like there's any resolution and Ralph's complaints that us not finding that designated number nine goal scorer that will get it. Yes, we've brought in Mara, but he's certainly someone for the future. And you know, he's playing an under-23 game, so it doesn't seem like he's necessarily hit it off, which no one should expect to at, at his age either. Do you have sympathies with Ralph that maybe not all of his tick sheet was, was completed? Hmm. The thing with our transfer window is, it. on one hand, it was amazing. Like we got a player for basically every single position apart from the most important one. It's like It's like impressive bringing this amount of vast amount of players. It's just... To bring in a striker in the summer like, is a heck of a lot easier than, like you said, bringing in, in January. Because if we did, say, bring in Timo Puki, the amount of complaints you would get, it's ridiculous. The fan base would be an uproar. However, it's quite literal. Our only option now, because Cody Gakpo is completely out of the question. Because if he won't go to us, that's for sure, if he knows that he likes the United looking at him. Even still, the Leeds will probably pay him double the wages as well. Like, there's absolutely nothing we can do right now. And I can only read, like you said, Harry, go back to your original question. I do feel sorry for Ralph because if he had that number nine that could score goals and guarantee 10 plus a season, we'd be in such a different position right now because I think we have the qualities and we have the players there to push on. Like you said, we had so many games decided by 1 0. If we had that sugar that could finish, it would be, it'd be so much different and we'd be in such a better off position. However, Right now, we don't have the facilities to bring one in, and especially in January, I'd be very surprised if we get anyone in. Yeah, right, Mikey. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you quite a large question here, so I want well, you to excited. your ears need to be open. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Open. Right. Part A of the question is: you look at Jay oh, Adams, and in the Championship, 22 goals, 
And yes, the goalkeepers are certainly an improvement from the championship to the Premier League, but the bottom corner and the top corner don't move. And a lot of the time in the one-on-one situation, if you put them in those areas, no keeper's going to save it. So what do you feel, what do you think's changed there? Do you think it's his confidence? Do you think it's, it is just due to the goalkeepers being a lot better? Because I feel, I feel like his movement and getting into the areas are quite good. But also, should the onus just be on Che Adams? Yes, he's our main striker. But if you look at last season, we finished 15th. JWP, he got 10 goals. Adams got seven. And I'm going to go from 14th to about 8th. So Aston Villa above us. Watkins only got 11. Tony got 12. Zaha, he did well. He did get 14. But Wilson, 8. Jimenez, 6. Trossard, 8. Vardy, 15. Out of the question. Fair enough. Bowen, 12. A bit higher. And Saka, um, 11 goals. So that's 15th to 5th, ignoring United because Ronaldo and San, uh, Fernandez get a lot of goals. Do do we have to try and distribute it around the team? You know, put the responsibility on other players just rather than just Che Adams. And also, do you think it is just the confidence that he's lacking? Because normally, a couple of seasons ago for Birmingham, he was finding the bottom corners, top corners, and not giving goalkeepers a chance. Um, I, I think in the championship, it's a lot more of an open game. You're going to get more chances throughout the game. Um, he, I think, in the end, I think Adams outperformed his. People don't like it. He outperformed his XG like by five or six goals. So he actually finished. He he was actually quite a good finisher in that in that season, or he just got a little bit lucky. Who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's an onus of like strikers score goals, and that's part of the job. It's like number one on the job. But there are other elements that they can bring, and that's what Shay Adams does. That's why I like him. And the problem is, is that we it doesn't feel like we have goal scorers from elsewhere. Um, I, me, me and you, Tiz, we were having discussion. I don't know who else is in the call at the time, but we were having a discussion of has Wal Prowse's free kicks actually got worse? And did like, do you want to guess? How, I know Tiz might know. Remember the answer? I don't know if he does. I let the other two go. But do you know how many shots he's had from free kicks this year? Wal Prowse. How many? Ollie, yeah, how many guess. shots has Walprouse had from free kicks this season? I really can't think of that many. Like two or three? Jamie, yeah. what are you thinking? How many? Oh yeah, two or three. Two or yeah. three. Two. He's had three. <laughs> Walprouse yeah. has had three yeah, shots yeah. directly from free kicks. So you you know, our basic penalty of him having a shot from eighteen to twenty yards out, teams aren't giving that away. And you could argue in the fact that we're not receiving those free kicks because teams are more intelligent or maybe we're just not being as direct through the centre of the pitch dribbling-wise as everyone else. I don't know. But that's it's always has been a problem is like getting goals from external areas. We don't have goal scorers that aren't strikers and that, that becomes a problem. Now, Ellie Nuzi got two or three last year. Stuart Armstrong only scored the one in the Premier League last year, I believe. Um, and you, you could even backdate this as a problem when we had Schneiderlin and Wanyama in our midfield. Then Jack Cork, they didn't score goals a lot, did they? They they weren't goal scorers from midfield. So we have a lot of reliance on forward players getting goals. And it, yeah, it, it, it can... I don't know if that becomes a stress on Che Adams in the fact that no one's scoring goals, he's not getting support, therefore the pressure's a little bit higher on him, because that may be the case. Um, you've also got um, the, the wide players probably do want to start scoring goals. Like I know people complained about Nathan Redmond. You knew he was going to score at least two or three goals a season from outside of the box because he kept taking shots from there. Um, there's, there's, yeah, you, there's a need of not only like you look at Wolves so Wolves their top goal scorer was Raul Jimenez last year and they were getting goals from Ruben Neves they were getting goals from I don't know no, Traore wasn't there Hang, Hang Wang thank you was having a really good season like he, he scored goals for them so they had goals from everywhere not just their main striker and now they're struggling this year um, because they're playing around a 37 year old Diego Costa but yeah you know there is a need of needing um, goals from elsewhere um but it all comes back to playing style i think again because because we're trying to be more compact and our players are further back because we're trying to be a little bit more defensively solid maybe that doesn't give them the freedom to go forward a little bit more 
or maybe it was the weakness of like Diallo being in our central midfield. Maybe we felt like we needed to be a little bit more protective of him. And that didn't allow players to go forward as much. And that, that might not even be a thing that Ralph tells him to do. That might just be a cognitive thing for the player. Is like if they're not used to playing with someone or they don't trust someone, they're not going to feel like that they can bomb on if someone's a little bit looser at the back or someone a little bit looser in possession. So, you know, and that's not just pointing at Diallo. Lianco gave the ball away three or four times during the game as well. You, like Everyone does, but it's, it's how trusted they are in possession and where they're giving the ball away. So I think you are needed to have external support for your strikers to score goals, but it's also important for your striker to score goals. It's like at, at the end of the day, football is a game of who can get the most balls in the back of the net. That's that's it. So uh, you you need to find goals from somewhere, and it like it it, it becomes a struggle because even though Gakpo isn't a nine, he isn't a centre forward. He's someone who can score goals from external to your number nine. So is there an ability to find a player like that? I don't know. Uh, and let's hope we can find one in the January or Che Adams can go on a run and form like he sometimes does. Fingers crossed. Ollie, before we move on to the next subject of the podcast, we've got any final takeaways from the Palace game? Any burning thoughts that I've not relinquished from your mind? Uh, well, I just kind of wanted to go on the fact that it we were able to perform much better in the second half with Maitland-Niles playing and hopefully with Lavia coming back into the side I know we touched on it earlier it will give that attacking like it will allow Warprouse to push up a little bit more as well and I know I don't want to cover on what Mikey's said previously but if you have a look at the the average position that we had against Crystal Palace Warprouse was actually much higher up than you think he was close to the strikers so hopefully if we have a little bit more solidity in front of the defence hopefully it will allow more attacking football to return and I think that's the main problem that a lot of people have been having recently is that the attacking football's not there but if you're not solid defensively you can't commit the five the six players that we you know we bomb forward trying to get into the box and create create something so hopefully with a bit of Solidity coming back into side, we should see some attacking football return. So keep them fingers crossed. Hopefully, we'll see it soon. Yeah. And what was quite attacking was our 8 1 victory, the Saints B's 8 oh. 1 victory oh. against Middlesbrough. You talked about a couple of players there that were brought in, and one of them, you know, that we, we saw in that game was Lavia. We also had minutes from Mara, Adozi. Um, I think Alex McCarthy got, got a game as well, Larios, Walcott. Anyone else, anyone in there that you can pick out, Jamie, that you like the look of? And how much can we take out of a game like that? Even though it was against quite a youthful Middlesbrough side, you know, good to get mm. some minutes for some of the players. This new Warcott fella, I don't know who he is because he, he got a hat trick. Like, must be in the young squad or something because the number 32, clearly no one knows who he is. But he must start I, the game because he's got three I goals. I think he's guys. a bit like Jesse Lingard. Oh, really? He's still got potential. Yeah, he's still got potential. <laughs> but. It's just, it's just, it's very funny seeing Twitter's reaction to the game because people were saying, "Kazmara scored four, chuck him behind Che and see how he plays off him." Did the same with, did the same with Fairy Walcott. You would you call, call for Ralph's head, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's very positive. I think seeing what nine out of the eleven playing were was from the first team, but I think it's, it's the perfect use of the B team. And now we've got these younger players in the squad. Is we can do this now. I think it will be more refreshing to see this happen more often because it's giving these players confidence, which they obviously haven't had yet. For example, like Mara getting four, that is invaluable to him for this season. Hopefully it can, when he does come on, he's a bit more up and, up and lively. But I, do, I just think that it was brilliant use from Ralph to use the B team. And I want to see it more because it's awesome. Yeah, any, any takeaways that you had from the B team game as well, Mikey? Uh, well, Sells took charge. It wasn't the usual B team manager. Uh, Sells, the I don't know if he's now assistant manager, but you you can clearly hear a Spanish voice on the highlights. So it wasn't the normal one in charge. 
Um, but then, like, I, I mean, as as a university, we were supposed to go to this game, and then they moved it from the Friday to the Sunday, and we were all confused why. And now we know why. It's because they wanted nine first team players to start in the game. Um, but the, you know. The the reason why they've done this is because of the different style of play. You like you look a lot of the players in there. Larios uh, hasn't played a lot this year. Um, you got Maitland Niles hasn't played a lot, and he's new. Mara's new. Lavia's new. Adozi's new. Gineppo and Walcott haven't played a lot this season. So it's either just down to get them through a full ninety minutes, or well, majority of them through a full ninety minutes. Uh, it will also um, just make sure that they they're getting there with the system it's always important to know that when a player comes out you've got a key player injured that as soon as they're injured you can get someone back in and and they've got an understanding of what they're supposed to do so if you have a first team player like Gineppo who hasn't really played that much and he's played multiple roles he hasn't just played the one there may be a little bit of confusion in what he's being asked to do so to be able to deploy him in this game and and sort of get him playing football again quite good like really really good for him uh to do that uh i i just think it's also great experience for nico lawrence and uh and Payne to to play with these lads again and they're playing with players who they want to get to and i i saw nico lawrence play against sunderland last year and i thought he was fantastic i think he's someone to watch and i, I think he's a really composed, physically strong centre half, and he looks quite good. So it's good for him, and also you know the experience of Oli Lancaster being out there too. He, he, even though he hasn't played for the first team and his sole role was being in the B team, he was probably one of the more experienced heads out there yeah. um, in that team. So it's it's good that he was out there too. But there's not a lot you can take away from the result, but because you know you're playing Middles Middlesbrough's under twenty ones or under twenty threes, they're not. They're not players that have made an impact in Middle Middlesbrough's team. And you look at the lineup that we played, we should be beating them eight one. Um, but yeah, it's good for the players. It's good confidence for them. Like Mara scoring goals again, um, and it's just good minutes for them, keeping them match sharp, keeping them match fit, uh, and and keeping them just ticking in the head. So it's fantastic for us, but. A part of me does feel sorry for the from the lads from Middlesbrough coming all the way down there to come <laughs> up against eight first team players and just get absolutely beaten. Um, but you know, it's probably a great experience for them as well because a lot of them wouldn't have played against you know Premier League level players, so they can take positives out of that as well. We've talked about Palace, we've talked about the B team, and now it's time to talk about the upcoming game against Newcastle. They, well, they were one of the sides that caused our huge dip at the end of last season where they beat us at home. Uh, I think we were one 0 up through Stuart Armstrong, and then Bruno Gamares scores and. Was it Gamares double? Or did someone else score? I can't. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Uh, but they were part of the, you know, our downturn because we had quite good home form up until then, uh, and they are in great form as well. They're unbeaten in their last five. I think they've lost just once this season against Liverpool. That was in the 98th minute um, after being one 0 up. Ollie, what have you made of them so far this season? And what have you made of Eddie Howe as well? I think they've been very impressive. I think Eddie Howe. I had questions of him when he was at Bournemouth that the attacking football looked great, but defensively they looked poor. Um, but he's been able to bring in uh, defenders that he, he trusts and he plays, still playing the, the impressive attacking football with a impress, like a, using the press to try and use that as a, create chances as well and it's been working really well i think they have tied with man city the best defense in the league talking clean sheets wise um looking really solid and yeah like i say playing really nice attractive football as well so it's a very impressive job by eddie howe and it looks a very difficult side to go and play at the moment I found what Eddie Howe did quite interesting after leaving Bournemouth, after they went down. He he sort of reflected on himself and he he went around, I think a lot of managers do this, but he went around like other clubs and sort of had a look at what I'm they were doing. Well. So he, he, came, he came to Southampton, he did a little bit of work with Hassan Uttor and did a little bit of work around there. I know he went to Atletico Madrid and he did some work with Simeone and he learned 
uh, how they sort of play. And I mean, if you want a defensive team, you go to Atletico Madrid. They're one of the best defensive units in in Europe to to sort of watch and see how they play. So I think he probably learned a lot when he was out of a job and now he's back at Newcastle. And to be fair, Newcastle is a fantastic opportunity for anyone who goes there because of what they have. And at the moment, like, I think a lot of people thought that Eddie Howe would come in and almost play a Mark Hughes role in like Man City's uh, rise as a as a, a superpower because um, they thought he'd just come in, he'd spend the first two seasons there and then they'll go and get like a Pochettino or someone else. But at the moment, you can't take Eddie Howe out of that job. What, six wins this year? Six draws, one defeat. They're, they're flying in the league. They're up in fourth place. They look like one of the best sides in the league at the moment. And when you've got... I think you, you can just have a look and you can see like Kieran Trippier is a wonderful fullback. He, he's a fantastic fullback, brilliant player to watch. His deliveries from set pieces are fantastic. Callum Wilson will always get your goals as long as he stays fit. Um, and at the moment, they need him to stay fit because Isaac is out, of course. Um, Almiron is having a worldy of a season at the moment as well. It seems like everything he touches goes to gold. So everything's going well for Newcastle at the moment. and. You know they're they're performing really well, and they'll just be bouncing after a four 0 win against Aston Villa. They'll be they'll be loving life. So coming down to the south coast used to be a tricky um, tricky fixture for them. It used to be when we went up to their place, we lost, and when they came down to here, they lost. Um, but I don't know if that will be the situation this season. I mean, you know, roll it back a couple couple seasons ago to November, and we we topped the table after beating them in a in a home game behind closed doors. And you mentioned Eddie Howe there and all the work that he's been doing. Jamie, does it just show that you can't put a manager in a box? You know, you look at Bournemouth and they, you know, they had a good attack. They had a great attack at times as well. But, you know, they always con- conceded 65 plus goals and that <laughs> was the base of why they got relegated. Whereas Mikey says, they've now got the equal best d- defence in the league. They've brought in smart players as well with Botman coming in, Pope as the goalkeeper as a shrewd acquisition target, even though he's not played that much because Burns in there on a permanent deal. Does it just show that managers can change? You can't just go, right, he's good at this, he's bad at this, no matter where he goes. And when you look at the, the, uh, the availability of players from when he was at Bournemouth to Newcastle, I think it's a vast difference because you know, at Bournemouth, the, battle, the the pool we could choose players from was tiny. Where when you go to the Newcastle, he can literally get basically any player he wants to come to his side, no matter how much it would cost. He will have a list of players that he knows will fit his system, and he can pick them out and say yes, please. Where at Bournemouth, yes, he's conceding a lot. That's probably because he couldn't really choose the players that he wanted to play a system. Where now you're seeing he like list all those players that came in there, Harry, Burn, Target. They not be the t- may not be the best ability-wise. However, they fit his system and they work well. And he's finally getting the players that he wants to come in and he's succeeding. If only... You can say it's very similar to Ralph and if only he had that striker, we could possibly talk in the same situation. Maybe not fourth place. However, if he had that striker, like he got in Newcastle, yes, he's now injured, but they have a finisher in backup. He has these, he has these players he can pick that's what he's got. That's the big difference, Harry, from Bournemouth to Newcastle. Well, we're a, a team that sort of struggled to score, not as much as a lot of them, but we're struggling to score and we're coming up against the best defence in the league. So what can go wrong? Ollie, what mm. are our chances going into this one? I <laughs> I had a look round. I, I got sent our, you know, our usual weekly briefing on what we were talking about. I was like, how do we get past them? And I was like... Hmm. Let me have a little look round, and I had a look at their defense, and I was like, "Okay, defense is looking solid." Oh yeah, yeah, that, that midfield's doing pretty good as well. Oh, that, <laughs> that strike force is in the form I mean, of their life. Maximum can't How get in do... the team at the moment. That's hey? the problem. Maximum can't get in the team at the moment, which is they used to yeah. be their main talisman. Uh, yeah, that really shows it, doesn't it? Um, I mean, when Arsenal went in the. The Arsenal game, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be an absolute tonkin, and we brought, we brought something out. We always sometimes do that. I know that sounds strange, but we sometimes, when the when the cards are down, it looks against us. We do sometimes turn up, so I don't know. Maybe make a few prayers before the game and see <laughs> see if that helps. Um, but 
if we focus on our own game and not try and give them too much, uh, you know, stand in awe of them and actually give them a good game, try and err on the side of physicality without being over brash and yeah, try and try and play them man for man and play the best we can. Hopefully we could come out with a result, but in all honesty, I've, I've had a look at their team and there's not one person I've looked at and thought, there's our weakness, there's there's where we expose. I think they're all playing very well and it's a solid side. So I think it's more a reflection on, on ourselves that we have to be the absolute best that we can be and turn up and, and play at 100%, basically. Well, you've sort of had your take. Mikey, what's yours? And do you think that we're going to bring in Lavia, bring in Bella Kocciap, or do you think they're more of a, a Sheffield Wednesday sort of game where we're going to throw them in that game, which is a first team one, but the intensity hopefully shouldn't be as high? I can see it'll either be Lavia or Maitland Niles starting. Uh, I can't see Diallo retaining his place um, after the Palace game. Um, I I would. You, you sort of know what you're going to get from this Newcastle side. They're very well drilled. They're very well disciplined. I know you said that St. Maximin has been out. He's been out with an injury. So what they'll probably do is he was on the bench for, and he, he came off the bench for Newcastle against Villa. So what they'll probably end up doing if he's fit enough is they'll take Sean Longstaff out, put Joel Linton back in midfield, and then they'll stick um, St. Maximin out on that left-hand side. So oh, you've got... You've got St. Maximon on the left, Wilson up top, and uh, uh, Almiron on the right. And we know that St. Maximon likes to keep his width. We know that he likes to try and um, drag players out of their position and then move through the spaces with his tricks and his dribbling. And and he sort of added an end product onto his game since the turn of the year. So he's obviously a dangerous player to look out for. Callum Wilson is your classic poacher. Really quick, really um, direct and wanting to get in behind, but he can finish anything. He ball into the box. He can get his head on it. He can finish on his right foot very well. So he's obviously a player to look out for. And Almiron is currently playing on the form of his life. Uh, I don't think he's played this well since moving over from the US. So yeah, that is obviously a really dangerous front three at the moment. Uh, Bruno Guamez is going to be huge um, for Newcastle in their play, and I'd almost treat this as a game where, you know, you're, you're trying. You, I, I would adapt if I was in charge. I would adapt to the opposition in this game. I, I would. You'd, you'd obviously want to focus on your play style and all that sort of stuff, but. You always want a man sitting on Bruno Guamez. You want a player to sacrifice themselves and sit on Guamez. You want, I would play Elianuzi on the left-hand side for this game if I had the choice because he is a worker and he's a runner and I'd want him to track Trippier. I wouldn't want Trippier getting anywhere near our 18-yard box with a free cross into the box. Um, you could argue that you could play a back three, but would you want to leave your players one-on-one -on -one with the front three? I don't think you would. Um, but I'm not too sure that that might cause issues. Uh, but we know how Newcastle want to play. We know that Dan Byrne doesn't really get forward. He'll slot into a back three. Trippier will be allowed to push up. You'll have Joe Willock, who'd like to float onto the left-hand side quite nicely as well. So that will provide width on the left-hand side along with St. Maximum. So you know how they're going to operate. You know how they're going to play. Nick Pope is a better ball player than people give him credit for. Just because he played for Burnley doesn't mean that he's not a good uh, ball-playing goalkeeper. He He's also... um He came off his line a lot for Burnley. A lot more than people gave him credit for. He was one of the best goalkeepers... Well, not best goalkeepers off his line, but he definitely did it. Um, So he'll be almost sweeping outside of the box at that point too. So... You know, you, you got your you got your strengths, you got your players, you got a squad full of confidence, and it may be a game where you got to sacrifice your pride a little bit, sit in deep, um, let Newcastle have the ball and try and catch him on the break. Maybe play Adam Armstrong up front, see if we can use his pace to get in behind him. You got Che Adams up there as well, so maybe playing a four four two is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, in this game, it's just whether you trust two of our centre halves to to sort of stay disciplined enough. I'd argue it's the best way that we play. If you want to, we could almost play a 4-3-3 as well. Play, like, I don't know, Jay Adams up top on his own, Elian Uzi on the left to be able to deal with Kieran Trippier. And then you could almost have a right midfielder of Alex to cheat and doesn't doesn't sit in. 
um and, and supports che adams in that way so yeah there, there's there's ways of doing it yeah but of course you need the luck you need a good performance you need the team to be everyone together and, and working together to be able to get this um get a result against them but yeah, I don't. I don't think we'll we'll dominate the ball in this game. I don't think we'll dominate the game in this the game. But we sort of got to try and take our chances when we get them, and that's not what we've done this year. Right, Jamie, you've been given the facts and figures, and now I want to hear your score prediction for this upcoming game against Newcastle. Uh, what a question! Um, I'm gonna go one nil Southampton. Wow. Adam Armstrong goal. Against that. his hometown. Oh, yeah. Bit of a storyline in there. Ollie, are you the same? 1 0. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know, I'll, I'll say 1 all as well. And Mikey, yeah. you've given us all the ideas, but do you have a clue? What's your. I don't want to be dumb and say 1 all as well, but I think it will be. I, or, or Newcastle will win. I, I, I think it'll probably end up being a 1 all draw. No. One-all, yeah. um, we don't want the Newcastle win. I'm happy no. to stick. No, we don't. So well, you can't predict. You can never predict against Southampton, Michael. Come on. Oh, no. I have before year. this year, and I will again probably at some <laughs> point. So, well, if, if you if you don't get your hopes up, you can't be broken, and that's what we're going to say with with a one all draw. But I can see I can see a one nil in a in a world somewhere we can get a one nil win far away (laughs) (laughs) oh dear anyway that's all for this podcast we've had a look back at the crystal palace game our striking issues and you know how we can fix it as well we've looked at the b team game as well and we've looked at the the newcastle matchup coming our final home one before the world cup given our thoughts ideas and predictions hopefully next week we can review the game hopefully it'll be a win as well as preview the cup clash against Sheffield Wednesday and our Saturday match the final one before the World Cup against Liverpool hopefully we'll have a couple of podcasts during the World Cup period as well something a bit different for your ears uh, hopefully Ooh. you'll enjoy that as well we've got a couple of ideas uh, a bit unique as well so hopefully we can bring those together but it's been all four of us I've been Harry Tizard I've been joined by Jamie Allen thank you very much Harry thanks for hosting Mikey Mazements. Goodbye. As Ollie boasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for joining us, as always, and we'll see you next week.